This, this, this is Biz Owners Ed, where you'll learn how to start, grow, and scale your business with teachings from some of the most successful and high-volume entrepreneurs. Connect with us today at bizownersed.com. Now, let's make it happen. Thank you guys. I'm glad that you are here. I'm very stoked about being able to tell my little story to you guys. Oh, please, please, please remember to show immense gratitude to Jay and Betty and to David and to Jim. This is our second year in this, and without those four people, none of this would occur. So bend over backwards, showing your thankfulness to them. All right, so why are we here tonight? It's not because your schedule is not packed and that you don't have a whole lot of other things that you could be doing with your time, your family, your businesses, etc. So what we try to do our best is not to waste your time. So the purpose of the group is to be able to share with y'all collectively from the arenas that we play in, that the experiences that we've had, to give y'all some kind of nugget, something to build upon as you're going through your business endeavors. My specific part tonight is to give you a story on five topics that I think are very, very important, not only in how you operate your business, but in how you operate in your personal life. So you'll find out that every speaker that you have, and y'all have had, would everybody agree that y'all have had some tremendous, tremendous speakers? Well, here's the funny thing about those speakers. They're all professionals or very good, and then you'll have some like me. And we're more the ones that are going to tell you some of the pitfalls that we've had, some of the screw-ups we've had. By no stretch of the imagination do I come to you as an expert of building a business. So everything I'm going to tell you tonight is just from my simple perspective of what I have experienced. So the five points are going to be persistence and perseverance, win-win relationships, continuous learning, readjusting your map, and humility. And I will promise you that if you start yawning or drinking too much or getting sleepy, I will call you out. So act like you give a damn. <laughs> All right. So start with the slideshow. Summit Metals 1996, right now around 50,000 square feet, 20 acres. I'll get into a little bit more details of that later on. It's a blue collar industry. We're uh, about 10 minutes west of Texas Motor Speedway on 114. That's just some exterior <laughs> photographs, four big buildings. We have first line stage operations. We can shear half inch thick steel like a scissor, like a scissor does it, just slices it. You know, Chad, I'm sure you know a lot of this from your fabrication. We have 
press brakes that will bend parts anywhere from plus or minus a sixteenth to plus or minus five thousandths. We've got plasmas that will cut steel. Look at that handsome guy in the hat right there on the right. We have plasmas that will cut inch and a half thick steel. We have lasers, so there's a weld shop there. Do a lot of stainless, though, a lot of aluminum. Lasers that will cut up to three quarter inch thick steel, plus or minus five thousandths. Now, all you guys are looking at this, looking at me and looking up there going, why is he showing us this? Again, this is just to give you somebody else's perspective, because I would assume that most of you, with the exception of Johnette, have probably not seen a facility like that. She uh, has a customer of a very good friend of mine. It's actually a competitor. There's a story about him later. So anyway, that's just a run around. We have to have overhead cranes, forklifts, big trucks, yada, yada, yada. That's some of the finished parts that you'll see coming out of the shop. There's nothing glamorous about what we do. There's nothing that you would come into our business like Planet Tan and say, wow, that's sexy, that's cool, that's, it's just not. It's just blue collar. It's just a lot of giving your customer, the customer has a need. So they call us, and if they call us, that means somebody is probably not meeting their need. So we bid it, yada, yada. Most of our parts go into manufacturing. We do very little for the construction industry. Okay, so let's get started. Assumption number one. You probably would not be in this room if you were a pessimist. Fair? Quote, and most of these quotes that you'll hear are from Winston Churchill. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. So that's what kind of brings us together, that we are a very optimistic group. So, wherever you're at in this journey, do you at times have the tendency to get frustrated, to get overwhelmed? In the back of your head going blankety blank, can I even do this? Should I be doing this? Was that even a good idea? And why am I doing it? So you have this frustration at times. Now, everybody back there in the, in the big seats, all the professional, you know, and all the other speakers, they've got it all figured out. A little bit of fun there. So I'm here to tell you that sometimes it's just a grueling battle. I want to just step through this on the first one of persistence and perseverance and tell you very quickly my history. And again, persistence and perseverance. I'm 51 years old. I get out of college in 1985 with a bachelor's of science in geology. So I am a scientist. Came from a history of doctors, lawyers, teachers, accountants. Did not know what the word entrepreneur meant. Not even in my background of family history. So I get out. I'm making $350 a day plus expenses. Two years later, if everybody knows about the old business in the mid-80s, it kind of went to heck. I was making $90 a day, no expenses. Second year, I was gone nine out of 12 months. So I get home from North Dakota, 
And my wife suggests or informs or strongly encourages that I find a new wife or I find a new job. So that's when all this started. Well, I didn't know what to do, but she kept telling me, you ought to be a salesman. <laughs> I'm a scientist. I got a bachelor's of science in geology. I don't deal well with people. And she says, no, you deal with people. Okay, become a salesman. So I went to work for a steel company as a salesman. By this time, I'm 25 years old. And again, this heading on this is perseverance, persistence. I go to the doctor, 25 years old, making $25,000 a year selling. And my wife gets pregnant. I get stressed, excited, stressed. I got to make a budget. Scientists, the scientist part of me helped me make the budget. And a couple of three weeks later, we go back and find baby B. <laughs> that would be two. So I get really stressed out. I'm stressed. I'm going home every night trying to redo the budget, going, how am I going to pull this off? Well, two, three, four weeks pass, go back and find baby number C. That would be triplets. So, good news is, good news is, I went home after that, chunked the whole concept of a budget, and wrote down on my mirror, perseverance. I'm going to survive. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting. So, fast forward to age 27. I went to work for another, oh, and by the way, we never missed a meal. They still had diapers, and they still had, there's another story about that, but anyway. Went to work for another steel fabrication company. I'm 27 years old. I'm persevering. I'm getting better at my craft of selling. I'm doing better. I'm learning the market. I'm making more money. I have the five-bedroom house that every young executive wants and or slash needs not. And at 33, in the spring of 33, picture this body at 218 pounds. And then picture this body at 145 pounds. I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic at age 33 and looked like a poster child for death. In September of that year, I lost my job. Bear in mind, you got six-year-old triplets. The end of that year, I'm frustrated. I'm sitting in the bathroom. I can thank Chandler for this one. I'm sitting on the bathroom floor, and my wife says, why don't you start a company? And I was pretty blunt. I said, you know, I've been around this industry for a while, and most business owners are jackasses. They're arrogant. They're cocky. They don't think their poo stinks, and I just didn't really like being around them. I'm sure I'm to some degree depressed, frustrated, because I'm unemployed, and I got Three mouths to feed. And she looked up at me and she says, well, why don't you try running a business different than the way that you've seen it done? So a light came on and I had 12 customers who over the past six weeks had called me and said, if you'll start a company, we'll keep you from starving. We'll fund you and we'll make things happen because I've been selling these guys for years. So I had a relationship with them. I knew them. There's one problem with starting a company. 
And this is the encouragement to all you guys as you're trying to grow these businesses. And Randy and I talked about this. Being that executive style, I had $42,000 to my name. That $42,000 was earmarked for my pool and spa for my executive home. I didn't have any concept at age 33 that you're supposed to save money and invest and be smart. I was just looking good. Well, if you've seen all those pictures, everything that we do takes a lot of money. You have to have a lot of land, big buildings. It's very capital extensive. So to think that Summit was started with $42,000, I promise you, is a comical joke. It makes no sense. It should not have survived. Bruce, you know what all that stuff costs. It shouldn't have survived. But by being able to have customers that help, they would call me. I'd make a load to them, and they'd say, do you need money? What do you mean? You want me to pay you COD? Please. If I didn't need it, I would say, no, I'm fine. If I needed it, I wasn't too embarrassed to say, I'm out of money. Please. Please buy me. Yes, sir. Our product is we can do any kind of weldment, structural fabrication weldment. More importantly, any manufacturer does not want equipment. A manufacturer wants to be an assembler because they don't want the investment of all these big pieces of equipment. They don't have to have the higher-end labor forces to run these complicated machines. It takes less talent to be an assembler. So we bring in plate and we make parts that typically feed some sort of manufacturing product line. Just like for your buildings, if we did more of the steel fabrication, we would do the base plates, we would do the gussets, we do the trusses, etc. So in the process of doing this, I'm going to give just two side notes. Number one, fear. Raise your hand if you've ever dealt with fear. It's real, isn't it? In, as an entrepreneur, fear has got two options. It can be one heck of a motivator, and it can cause paralysis that makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning because you're just so overwhelmed. So I'm going to share with you a little concept on how I do my best to vision my business world. Picture a chessboard. What's the difference between a chessboard and a checkerboard? Nothing. Same board. Unlike checkers, chess has a bunch of little guys with a whole bunch of different abilities. And the game of the board itself has variables that you can't grasp. But here's the beauty of that concept. Those parts that your little guys that you're moving, king, queen, whatever. And Jay, I still got that king, queen that I stole. We went to the thing and I got, Jay gave me the queen. He got the king, but outsmarting because I stole them both. <laughs> so I still have them both. You can only move one piece at a time. So really what you need to concentrate on is what is my next strategic move in what I'm doing for my business. Now, we all know that to be a great chess player, the truly good ones are looking five to six moves down the road. So I'm not going to kid you on that. 
but I will give you that you can take a little bit of breathing room and saying, really, next strategic move, what is it? Implement that one. All right. We'll talk more about that here in a little while. Don't forget this is a game. Again, Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So take action. Mistakes will happen. Go again, again, again. Never, ever, ever give up. Persistence and perseverance. All right, here's my favorite one. Win-win. Form alliances with everyone around you. Y'all heard this. Somebody said that earlier. Form alliances. Employees, customers, suppliers, your banker, your CPA, whomever. Form alliances. Make sure you are being a giver. A lot of people's tendency is to be a taker. As an entrepreneur, you got to learn the fine art of being a giver. You can look at those people right there that, that started this whole thing. They didn't do it because they were takers. They did it because they wanted to be givers. So I'm going to give you a couple of stories. Johnette, you'll know who this is coming from, so I won't mention names. I've got a competitor. And um, I mean, I'm starting out. I placed orders for my machines. I didn't have any customer calls and offers me, gives me a PO for these parts. <laughs> you know, I'm stupid. I said, okay, well, can you wait eight to 10 weeks? He's like, what? I said, well, that's when my equipment will show up. You know, because you got to order that stuff and it's got to come from all over the place. And he said, no, I can't wait. He said, go buy it from your competitor. What? Stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. But I'm broke. I don't have a choice. Let's go try it. So I walked down to Fort Worth. Our world, our business's world is very incestuous. Everybody came from somebody else, and we all know each other. We might not know each other personally, but we kind of know who the players are. So I walk into this competitor, knew who he was, but did not know him. Told him I was fixing to be his competitor. But in the meantime, I needed him to make parts for me before my equipment showed up. Pretty stupid. Yeah, I mean, he's looking at me like I'm an idiot. He stands up and says, uh, can you hold that thought? I'll be right back. Goes and gets his other salesman and the owner of the company. Comes back, and by this time, he kind of got a little look on him. He said, they're going to sit down, and you're going to repeat your story. Okay. So I'm thinking I'm fixing to get my head chopped off. I go through my spiel. I'm fixing to compete with you until my equipment gets here. I need help. <laughs> I need your help so I can build to compete with you. <laughs> well, the owner of the company looks at me, and he says, looks at Tom and says, looks like to me we have a salesman that we don't have to pay. Selling a market that we don't presently have. So we all stood up, shook hands, and the guy said, go sell what you can sell. That first year we did almost a million dollars in sales, of which they did 75 to 80% of, and we were profitable. Solely because of this company, gentleman, that I really didn't have a relationship with but I was forced to. So a couple years later, we'd had more equipment brought in. We were more self-sustaining. I'm in route to Lubbock for a funeral for my father-in-law, and I've got those aforementioned three little guys with me. And my phone rings. And that was back when we had the big bag phones. 
It's Tom. Tom says, I got a problem. You know, in fabrication, you can't bend, weld, saw until you can cut the flat. So a, a shear, a plasma, a laser is a first line stage. Tom had two shears. Both of his shears were busted. Can you do some shearing work for me? No, sir. We're busy. We're swamped. We can't keep up with what we got. I said, give me a few minutes and I'll call you back. So I'm sitting there on the side of the road on 114 out in West Texas, and it dawns on me. Win-win. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that gentleman and that company. I probably would have never survived the first year because I was way undercapitalized. So I called him back. I said, I got a great idea if I don't say so myself. Send in Jesse. Send in your truck, your material. We leave at 4 o'clock today, which is Thursday. We'll be back 4 o'clock in the morning. Friday, we'll leave at 4. We won't be back till 4 o'clock Monday morning. You can have anything you want in that shop. Bring your own materials. We're not jacking with each other's material, but that equipment's yours. And I grin, win-win. It's competitor, but still a win-win. So he calls me Monday, Tuesday when I get back in town from the funeral, and he kind of fretting over what I'm going to charge him. Well, if you really look at it, I had a little bit of wear and tear on my equipment and a little bit of electricity. But when the smoke cleared, that's all I had. So I told him to close his eyes. And I asked him, what do you see? Thought I was being cute. He said, no, just, I don't ask much, do it. I asked, so he did it. He goes, I don't see anything. Nothing. I said, well, good, that's what you owe me. The relationship just kept going, even though they're a competitor, win-win scenarios with everybody. So last story on that, I have another competitor. Did the same thing with them. Everything in our world is either thickness or length on what your capacity is. I'm sure you do the same thing with trucking. If your thickness, width, length is out of your thing, you're tattooed. So I make a phone call, get a quote. Sales accounting gives me open account. I place an order. It's a nice order. One of the executives from the principals of the company calls me up and says, you're a boy trying to play in a man's world. All you have is a pencil and a calculator. I will personally see to it that you go bankrupt. Remember when we talked about fear? That was a fearful moment. Well, I didn't win that battle. We'll get on battles here in a little while. I didn't win that one. But you know what happened five years later? Our volume had gone up and up and up and up. Our need for raw material had gone up and up and up, and this gentleman calls me. You want to go eat lunch? Yeah, I promise I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but that really, why would I want to go eat lunch with that little blankety-blank-blankety-blank? Well, I said yes. He apologized. I accepted his apology, started buying steel from him, and now they have a network of clients that does not fit their niche, and so they send us referrals. So if you're always in the back of your head keeping those win-win scenarios and you're not burning bridges, you never know what's going to happen a couple of years down the road. So win-win with your suppliers. And I think y'all have heard enough about win-win with your employees, so I'm going to skip that one for now. But here's another one on your suppliers. You order 10 X, sheets, whatever. 
the customer sends you 12. Now, I'm making these numbers up, but y'all get the point. What do you do? I got two free sheets. I got two free X. Aren't those blooming idiots? They're so stupid. Money in my pocket. No. You call up the customer and you say, you've obviously, in your shipping department, you have a process failure. If you're thinking about win-win situations, you're going to do the next right thing and help all of these people that you have these win-win relationships with. So number three, learn. This concept about learning, I promise you this, is never ending. It has to be a continuing endeavor. I didn't tell you this, Jay, but we're on a train in Canada this summer. It's, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know if you were doing a crossword puzzle or Sudoku. What, you were doing something. And I punched Amy. I said, son of a gun won't quit. Because his mind's always going. So learning is, I can't say nothing. We only know what we know. We cannot know what we haven't learned. Fair? If I'm not getting a head shake, then I'm not, you either didn't hear it or you don't agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for an argument because I actually do believe that some things we do know intuitively or instinctually. But for the most part, we only know what we know. We cannot know what we haven't learned. So in the time before and during the start of Summit, I realized I knew how to sell and I knew how to motivate people. But there was a massive amount of business knowledge I didn't know. What do you learn? Well, I chose 14 customers, suppliers, business owners, and other industries and asked for them to help. I didn't know the concept of coaches and mentoring back then, but at least I had an idea that I knew I was an idiot needed somebody to help me. So I would call these people up, can I buy you lunch? Went to a lunch. The quickest one was an hour. One of them lasts till 7 o'clock that night because people want to help you. People want to be a part of your success. If you're ever taking clients out for drinks or for lunch, do you ever get uncomfortable when you're dealing with lunches and drinks and stuff with people? Y'all are just also confident you don't have a problem. Okay. There are times I have issues with that. Yeah. That's good. I have issues with that sometimes, so I learned something. You know what people want to talk about? Themselves. So you go into a business associate or somebody that you're trying to get them to help you, ask them questions, they'll tell you everything, they'll tell you the color of the underwear. They'll just keep telling you stuff. So I would go home at night, put the kids to bed, make coffee, and sat there for as long as it took me to make notes of what all these people had taught me that I needed to learn, and that became my business Bible or my business gospel. And to this day, it helps me. I also very quickly realized that I knew what in, I could play my way through an income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow statement. Truthfully, I didn't know jack squat about them. So what do you do? To learn, you may have to put aside some of your fun stuff and learn. 
pay attention to your industries. Our industry is pretty, how do you say, non-highfalutin, not real technologically on the cutting edge. But pay attention to your industry. I learned very early on in my industry that I had two styles of customers. Very small manufacturers that were dirty and very large conglomerates that were nice dressed. Well, you can't go out and make sales calls if you're not paying attention to who your customers are. If I wore a pair of starched blue jeans and I was going to a weld shop, a blue collar world, I could put on Wolverine work boots, a denim untucked shirt, a gimme cap. In a parking lot at the next place that was more high rise, I could put on a starch shirt, tucked in, ostrich boots, and take my hat off and kind of smooth back my hair. But I had to learn something about that industry. You cannot quit learning about whatever industries y'all are in. So spend as much time with your customers. Learn from their frustrations with your pricing, your quality, your delivery, etc. Learn from them everything that you're not doing in meeting their needs or demands. It's very, very important. Learn about their stages and processes because you actually might be able to do them better than they could do it. And if you can do them better, then you just created another revenue stream. Learn from your customers what else they buy because you may have the capacity, the ability to do something for them, but they don't even have a clue. Why? Well, sales didn't tell them that. It's not sales, that's part of sales' role and responsibility, but it's really your, it's your responsibility to make sure. So as in y'all's seats, you can't have sales have to do everything. Y'all need to have relationships with all these people so that you're talking to them and you're learning from them. How can I make my company better to meet your needs? Funny thing on purchasing agents. Do you know what a purchasing agent number one joy is? And it's not the lowest price. The fewest amount of vendors. Purchasing agents do not want a lot of vendors. So if they have a need, a market that is not being met and it does not fit in your core competencies, big deal. Help them find a way. You might be simply the middleman at 20, 30, 40% markup. Who cares? Win-win for everybody. So learn, learn, learn. All right. Teachability and humility are very similar. We'll get more on humility on point five. But as you start, they're pretty easy to participate in both. Harder as you keep going because your arrogance sneaks in. You start thinking that you know so much about your company, your market, your processes, your customer base that you don't keep learning. So I'll close on learning with Jay's quote, make sure you're not smoking your own dope. <laughs> keep learning, 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 and stay teachable. All right, readjust your map. We all would agree that when we started our business endeavors, we are at a point, fair? And we all know that six months, year, five years, 10 years, 100 years, that we have a goal. So if we started hearing our goals there, that we're somewhere at a point in time along that line, 
Fair? So, problem with that concept is Tony talked about this, Tony Jerry. Our world is so fast-paced and so chaotic. We know we're at this point, but how do we get to that point? So our business growth, what we're doing, is not a straight line. It's a bunch of BS of this and this and this and this and this. And sometimes you wake up, you're just head spinning because you're going, wow. So back up. Junior year of high school for my children, going to college. So we spent two weeks touring the countryside. Their one request was, we do not want to go to the same college. Well, they grew up in Decatur, Texas. They were tired of being that. So that's fine. What are our options? We got the Pacific Ocean and you got the Atlantic Ocean. I don't care where you go. The further you go east or west, the less I'm going to pay for you to come home. That's it. So I gave them this humongous variety of what their options were. Well, by their end of their junior year, they're freaking out. So I drew them this line. And I said, guys, start out with your goal. Start out with what you anticipate the end goal is, which is a college degree in four years. Because if you go over four years, it's on your dime, not mine. In the meantime, as you're going through this and you're getting off target, readjust your map. That doesn't mean that if you pick the wrong college, life is over. That doesn't mean if you made a bad decision in business, life is over. You have to readjust your map. Caution if you don't take the time to readjust your map. You know what happens to a frog when you put it in warm water? Turn it up. The frog has frog legs that night because you just boiled him and he wasn't smart enough to jump out. This will entertain you in the summer. Do you have a pool or a pool house or a backyard and you got those lights? And you got them, those moths are just going around and around and around. One night, I'm drinking a little bit too much beverage and I'm watching this. Guys, it's kind of fun. I had the same problem in Monterey at the aquarium watching the little sardine guys going around and around. And something about my head likes things going around and around and around. Anyway. Well, next morning, what happens to all the moths? They're dead. They're all down there on the ground because they didn't change their flight pattern. They did not readjust their map. They just kept doing what they had always done. They did not think through it. So that's kind of easy to say. Let me give you some pointers on that. As you're going through this process of readjusting your map, a very good do. Do stay flexible and make a list. Example, what is new in your world, business and private? What is new in your industry? What is new in the economy with your competitors, with your competitive edge, with technology, with transportation, with taxation, with laws, etc., etc.? Sit down and make a list of everything that functionally has an impact on your business and evaluate that. See if you need to readjust your map. A very good do not. Do not be so stubborn and dig your heels in deep and say, this is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. This is the way I want to do it. All right, a couple of you are looking at me like I'm smoking something. There's a character trait I can guarantee everyone in this room has in the same way. 
we are all extremely stubborn people. We would not be doing what we're doing if we weren't just stupidly stubborn because everybody says we can't do it. All the odds are against us. So when you're evaluating your needs to remap your quest, don't be stubborn. So a quick mind game to play with as you evaluate that. I'm going to make it. This actually came from a childbearing book from when my older children were little, but it, I think it's very applicable in how you evaluate that list I just told you that you need to be making and evaluating. Are they mere preferences? These thoughts, these ideas. If they're just mere preferences, let them go. Am I willing to fight for this, that, this concept, whatever? Am I willing to fight for it? Choose your battles. Because there's a lot of battles to lose to win the war. Third one, am I willing to die for this, it, that? And I'm using die metaphorically. But if you have a whole bunch of stuff as you're going through all these concepts of readjusting your map and everything's down in that bottom one, you're being too damn stubborn. All right. Humility. Don't live your lives in a state of delusion. Everybody can see through your BS. You're not faking anybody. Authentically believe that everybody in your organization is a part of it. Nobody is less than. If you hear nothing else from my 45 minutes tonight, remember this. In your organization, Chris talks about it. Tony Hartle talks about it. We're not in the steel business. We're in the people business. We all are in that. Nobody is less than and truly believe that. Now, that being said, there are some bad apples. Those bad apples need to be gone. When you find them, <laughs> Jay helped me with that one time. There are some people that need to go out of your organization. The worst thing you can do is keep them and have it demoralizing to your whole team. Let them go. But those that are still around, you know what they really need, most likely? They need you to actually lead them, teach them, encourage them, educate them, send them to stuff, help develop them as a better employee. So that, again, is y'all's responsibility. If you ever want some fun Google time, research time, book read time, you know what to do with the long blonde hair, Sir Richard Branson, the virgin conglomerate guy? Fascinating dude to read about and to look into. If you didn't know this, he's severely dyslexic, but there's 400 plus virgin companies. But his business model is he doesn't have an office anywhere. I think he's got one at his mansion on Necker Island, but he doesn't have it because there is no I in we and he developed the whole virgin idea behind people doing work and getting the credit for it. You won't hear him say, look at what I did. It's about a group. It's about a team. It's about humility. Be willing to do any job in your organization 
Don't consider yourself too good or special to do anything that needs to be done. In the Tao Te Ching, there's a quote. I want y'all to listen to this on humility. Because in your roles, especially when you start making a bunch of money, it's very easy to become a butthead. In the Tao Te Ching, the best leaders are those their people hardly know exist. The next best is a leader who is loved and praised. Next come the one who is feared. The worst one is the leader that is despised. The best leaders value their words and use them sparingly. When they have accomplished their task, the people say, Amazing, we did it all by ourselves. All right, thank y'all. Thank y'all very much for listening. Hold on, just 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Take those points. I really think they'll help you. We're not all going to be able to give y'all just genius stuff, but if you found one or two things, then God bless you. This is the Biz Owners Ed podcast. Connect with us at bizownersed.com. Rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss out on every value-packed episode.